conductive way And you were so electric I had no say when you came so near And just passed right through me Hey everyone, welcome to Geekdom is Back. I'm your host, Deanna Chapman, and today we have a brand new guest. Kent Garrison from Mad About Movies is here to discuss Spider-Man 2. Kent, since it is your first time on the podcast, why don't you tell the listeners a little bit more about yourself? Hey, Deanna. Yeah, um, so I've been hosting Mad About Movies ever since 2013 with a couple of my co-hosts, Richard Barden and Brian Gill. And uh, it's been quite a journey for us over the past six years. Uh, we've done a movie every single week. Usually it's the movie of the week, the movie that won the box office the previous weekend or whatever movie is dominating the conversation on social media. And so uh, we've been doing that podcast ever since 2013, and we've spun it off into a little VIP feed there for the Patreon feed. We do throwback movies. Uh, we just did Inglorious Bastards this week in honor of um, Quentin Tarantino's new movie coming out. So it's uh, it's been a really fun time. And I've uh, really enjoyed doing the podcast, uh, Mad About Movies. Yeah, it sounds like a lot more of your episodes are a little more time sensitive than mine. You know, I kind of just <laughs> watch things when I watch them. And, you know, with AMC A-List now, I go see movies more frequently. But I find that coordinating schedules with guests to discuss a movie like opening weekend or something is a little yeah. difficult. So I applaud you guys for what you're doing <laughs> at Mad About Movies. Yeah, I do. I'm an A-list subscriber as well, and I actually love that service. It's been great to be able to book tickets in advance for some of these bigger movies, especially the newer Spider-Man movie that came out a couple of weeks ago, and yes. be able to do that all in advance and see those and and schedule out our episodes whenever whenever it's convenient for the host to get together. But um, but yeah, it's been it's been a challenge for us to stay on top of it, but it's also been uh, part of the fun part of it too, is to is to be in the conversation while it's happening. It's been really fun. For sure. I did manage to get a Spider-Man Far From Home episode out within the oh. first week of its release. So, mm -hmm. you know, there is that accomplishment that I have. And I was yeah. planning on doing an entire Spider-Man month in July, but that did not pan out. So we're talking <laughs> about Spider-Man 2 today instead, you know, it's probably several weeks out from far from home at this point by the time you're all listening to this but i hadn't gone back and watched the sam raimi movies in a very very long time i'm honestly not even sure if i had ever rewatched them i know for a fact that i watched them because we owned the first two at least on dvd so i was like okay yes if we had spider-man movies on dvd i definitely watched them at some point yeah these um these raimi movies uh, they've become kind of classics at this point. Uh, yeah, I know you said you're, this is coming out after Far From Home, but I mean, I feel like any time's a good time to talk about these because they uh, they kind of started this Spider-Man um, franchise, really, on cinema. It kind of started these uh, superhero movies to not be a beating. Uh, some might say that would be X-Men, you know, a little bit before the original Spider-Man. But um, I really like to think that these Spider-Man movies, these Raimi Spider-Man movies, are what made people realize that superhero movies could be fun all the time and and um it doesn't depend on certain ip being involved um i think you know just the one character of spider-man was enough didn't really matter who else they brought into this that the fans were were all in for anything spider-man and and i'm a huge fan of these raimi movies these first two raimi movies actually um, i think spider-man 2 is just about the pinnacle of of uh superhero movies a lot of my friends like to say The Dark Knight and 
lately it's more Avengers MCU conversation, but I really think that it's hard to beat this this uh, Spider-Man 2 from Sam Raimi if you're talking about you know, great action, fun, good drama and stakes, uh, as well as um, you know holding up over time. Uh, I was really surprised at how well this one held up. Um, I don't know how many years it what this was 2002, so 17 years ago, something like this. Uh, I think this one was this 2004. One 2004? Yeah, the first, okay. I believe first the first one was 2002. One was 2002 right? That's and then correct. 2004 for Spider Man 2, and 2007 for Spider Man 3, which I don't know yet if I will be doing an episode on, but <laughs> definitely have an episode either coming or just released on the first one. You know, we're recording yeah. this early, so I am unsure yeah. of my schedule. <laughs> The uh, Spider-Man 3 is actually a fun one to talk about um, just because there's a lot a lot more of confusion surrounding that one um, yeah. because a lot of people either love or hate that one. And so I find those kinds of movies a lot, uh, a lot of fun to talk about. But um, Spider-Man 2 is – I've revisited this one almost every year since. I mean, you know, it's, it's been since 2004 since it came out, but I, I feel That's it's impressive. super fresh still. It's really fresh. Um some of my favorite performances uh, in superhero movies here. Um, I really like Alfred Molina in this movie. Um, I like the approach that Sam Raimi took with the second Spider-Man movie and and, and the Peter Parker character. So, so yeah, this, I'm a big fan of Spider-Man 2. When you sent me the list to pick a movie, I immediately circled Spider-Man 2. I love talking <laughs> about it. Yeah, I wanted to cover these because, you know, I was nine or 10 when the franchise started. So I was only 11 or 12 when this movie came out. So I didn't remember a lot of it, but because of how much I've enjoyed Tom Holland as Spider-Man, and I know everyone has their favorite version of Spider-Man, especially with the three different live action film series we've had so far. And I was kind of like, you know, a lot of people talk about the Sam Raimi movies either very positively or you know like you said especially with spider-man 3 it's a very split crowd on that one so i was like all right i'm gonna go back figure out these feelings for myself because i had marked them as watched but i never rated them or anything so i went back i watched the first one and i watched this one i have not gone back to spider-man 3 just yet it's on my list of things to do but yeah with spider-man 2 obviously you have a lot of the same cast from the first movie with toby mcguire Kirsten Dunst, James Franco, Rosemary Harris, J.K. Simmons, you know, these familiar faces that by the second movie were like, okay, we have the gist of who these characters are and how the actors are going to play them. But then you throw Alfred Molina into the mix and just some other characters, especially, you know, Dylan Baker just appearing as Dr. Connors. And it's so brief each time he's on screen. You're like, okay, are they actually building up to something here? Or is yeah. this sort of just fanfare and Sam Raimi is putting him in and being like, okay, you know, we're going to put him in here, but we're not going to do anything with him right now. Yeah, I definitely enjoy the carryover from Spider-Man 1 and continuing the story. Um, but I like the new direction they took it too. You know, uh, you do think that... James Franco's going to be more involved in this with uh, Harry Osborn and and the seed that was kind of planted with with the ending of Spider-Man One and and Harry Osborn's discovery of the Green Goblin suit and the whole his dad's business, you know, or or persona uh, behind the scenes of the Green Goblin. Yeah. So that was teased as the main kind of thing. I don't know behind the scenes if they 
didn't think James Franco could carry the weight of this movie at that time. And so they felt like they needed to stretch that storyline out into Spider-Man three and beyond. Um, I don't know. That's, it's confusing to me, but I think the, uh, Dr. Octavius and having Harry Osborn involved in that storyline um, to, a, uh, you know, to a certain degree really does kind of help his involvement and keep him involved in the story without it feeling tacked on or like we're not getting to that yet, uh, even though the fans want that. So I'm curious. Uh, so you said this was your first watch of Spider-Man 2 ever? No, or, it was my first time just revisiting it because oh, okay, I was okay. so young when they first came out. I didn't really have yeah. any recollection of the details. I kind you don't of remember knew, seeing it or anything. Yeah. yeah, I knew the gist of who the villains were and what happened, which I can say the same for Spider-Man 3. It's like they throw a lot of things at you in Spider-Man 3. And mm -hmm. this one, I was watching it and I was like, okay, I remember some of the bigger plot points because this adaptation was relatively true to the comics as far as how the first movie starts and with the second movie and the villains just peter's backstory living with aunt may how uncle ben dies and that's something that i really appreciated from the first movie but they did change things like you know his web shooters are organic instead of made by him yeah. and what do, you, what do you think about that i thought it the was weird person. that's yeah that's a that's always a every time i talk about spider-man with somebody that it's always a debate it's like what do you like better the bitten by a spider and now he he can he has spider glands you know like organically or you know like we've seen in amazing spider-man and the new one where it's a more of a device um i've seen both you know i've i've talk to people that like it either way but i i think it's a little bit weird if you're yeah <laughs> shooting out like webs from your hands like organically i think that's a little more concerning i think the <laughs> you know the 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 connection that peter parker has in the science world and with uh oscorp and and all that i think that and you know in the new series with uh stark industries i think that makes a lot more sense uh for him to be have some kind of technological connection than he got glands because he got bit by the spider. I'm glad they abandoned that because I've always thought that that was a little wacky with the origin story of Spider-Man. I was actually reading this book. It's called The Unseen Force, the films of Sam Raimi. And mm -hmm. it goes into a little detail on why they made that choice. And it was supposed to be a parallel to him like going through puberty and learning about his body and oh. things like this. And I was just like, well, that is one way to do I that they, and don't i don't they say that in the new one doesn't tom holland say something like talking about his junk he's like talks says his web slinger or something like he did do yeah. that and i was like yeah. wait what what's going on yeah. here and yeah. you know reading that in the spider-man chapter of that book i was like you know maybe i could have lived without knowing this <laughs> yeah exactly yeah i'm with you i'm i'm more about uh the non-organic web shooters and uh but that's interesting i know i did not know that uh that little a little bit, but apologies yeah. if I ruined it for everyone. Now, <laughs> <laughs> I really enjoy Spider-Man Two almost almost every rewatch, and on this last rewatch, I just noticed that Doc Ock character. It it uh, it's an amazing piece of cinematic work, I think, and I think it still really holds up uh, fifteen so or so year, years later in terms of how it looks, the CG. It's menacing. Uh, you know, a lot of these movies depend on the villain and, and the convincingness of the antagonist and 
Doc Ock's one of my favorite, um, if not my favorite comic book villain. Um, and in terms of being in a movie that I've seen uh, portrayed on movie, I, I really mm-hmm. like that. What what are, you, what are your thoughts on Doc Ock and all that stuff? Honestly, when I was rewatching this, I was like, you know what? This is one of the better villain portrayals that we've seen in mm-hmm. some of these movies. And when people talk about the MCU, it's like, yes, they have this uniformity to them and they've done a great job of sort of this giant world building just because of how expansive it is. You know, we're 20 plus movies in on it. They have a bunch more coming. They're going into space more. And with this, I was kind of like, okay, Spider-Man has a really great rogues gallery and they found a way in Spider-Man 2 to use that to their advantage. You know, like you said, Harry ends up finding his father's hidden Green Goblin room, basically. And while Willem Dafoe is pretty great as the Green Goblin and Norman Osborn in general, you're sort of like wondering what they're going to do next because they kick it off with Green Goblin. They move on to Doc Ock and those two are so iconic. And, you know, I think they nailed the look of Doc Ock a lot better than Green Goblin. I wasn't a huge fan of that suit. It just seemed too bulky and weird and you know in that book i was reading and i'll link to it for everyone who might want to check it out because it goes over a ton of sam raimi films the downside is that with spider-man 2 it was like right when the movie was getting ready to come out so they didn't have quite as much information about this movie but there's a pretty good size like 20 page chapter on the first spider-man movie and willem dafoe had to you know, just stand there for hours or sit there for hours while they sort of put the suit together on top of him because of Mm -hmm. how weird it was. And with Doc Ock, obviously, you have that CGI element to this movie that I think was vastly improved from the first one. In the first one, when, he, you know, Spider-Man was swinging around town and you had the villains popping up, I was like, yeah, this doesn't look fantastic. But at least they made the right improvements, I think, for Spider-Man 2 to where the fight scenes looked a little more fluid and it didn't look as much like a video game necessarily. Yeah, I totally agree, especially at that final sequence in Spider-Man 1 when they're in the parade and all the balloons, you know, and Spider-Man's like bouncing off the balloons. (laughs) That that looks super wacky. I, I completely agree. I think they knew and realized what they did that didn't work with Spider-Man 1. Um, I think the main thing was Green Goblin. Uh, you know, when you've got an actor like Willem Dafoe and you put that mask over him, it doesn't, it's, it's kind of hard, you know, yeah. to, you should, they should have done something painting with his face or some kind of makeup to make him look more menacing like a goblin instead of having just that plastic uh, mask. And but, you could um, see his eyes and his mouth through it and it just looked really yeah, weird. I was like, yeah. you couldn't have at least painted his face green or something like something no, to yeah. match it. It just looked a little off. And even though, you know, you, he's obviously not the one who designed the costume or anything like that. And they spent a ton of money on costumes for these movies. I read that wow. they had like 23 Spider-Man suits and it cost them like Holy 100 moly. grand each. And I was like, "Wait, <laughs> what?" <laughs> and you know, these movies yeah. had massive budgets for the time too. So, you're working with all of this money and you can kind of tell where a lot of it is going, especially with I wouldn't say it necessarily being the early early days of CGI, but it's something they were still figuring out in the early to mid 2000s and obviously 
you have things that look way better now. So it's hard to kind of even compare these Spider-Man movies to something like Far From Home because of just how far advanced the technology has gotten in the last 15 years. Yeah, you're, you've got a you've got a really good point there. Um, just just what they're able to do in the blink of an eye these days, especially with Far From Home, and the, the I'm not going to give anything away, but there's a twist in that movie that um, it's it relies on CG. You know, mm-hmm. basically, you can't you can't do their villain in the new movie without the technology that they have. Um, and I, the last time I was watching Spider Man Two, I was I was I was reminded of the scene where. Doc Ock takes away uh, Aunt May and he's hanging her off the building, mm-hmm. right? And then Peter Parker goes to, or Spider-Man goes to uh, save her and they're they're having a fight on the side of the building. Um, I was just reminded of how good that sequence looks, um, you know, for 2004, um, you know, it's a scene where Spider-Man and Doc Ock are punching each other, throwing throwing each other around off the side of this building. The camera's going, you know, it's a fake camera. I'm assuming it's all CG going everywhere but you know the thing that amazed me about it is doc ock is a character that doesn't have a mask and doesn't have uh anything to cover him up and it looked as good you know basically the cg face version of doc ock looked really good back then and and i thought you know in a lot of the action scenes especially that it would be like okay that's fake that's fake uh there's real you know there's fake um but i feel like the 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 effects as a whole it's just really amazing how well they've they've held up with the uh, I don't know basically what's real and what's not when you're looking at the uh like the uh the actual tentacles you know like when they're talking to Doc Ock and they're mm-hmm. doing all those things like I feel like they had some actual ones on set that they were using as puppets you know kind of mechanical puppets so I thought the blending of the practical and the and the uh CG was is great in Spider-Man 2 and um Having Doc Ock actually have a face, unlike Green Goblin, really does help the character. Oh, yeah. And visually, this one was just such an improvement. And even story-wise, I think Spider-Man 2 is where the series really got its footing. Because you have Peter, who has spent the last two years with his powers. Because the first movie was in 2002, this one was in 2004, and they added that two-year time gap there to the actual story of the movie so that Peter would have this time to grow. And, you know, one of the big criticisms, too, was that Tobey Maguire and Kirsten Dunst, they never really looked like they were high school kids at the beginning. So to move the story along and just be like, okay, you know what? They're in college. It's like, okay, that's a little more believable (laughs) given their, their ages at the time. And she's working. Peter's going to school and being typical Peter and being late for everything and kind of just not having that sort of Spider-Man and personal life balance that a lot of these heroes that we've seen over the years have tried to have. You know, Batman has his playboy life and his nightlife as Batman. So you have these characters who some of them just never really find that right balance and you know they throw in john jameson in this movie as mj's love interest instead of harry so peter just can't catch a break and (laughs) they put him through the ringer in this movie but i think they did it in a way that worked really well for the pacing of the movie and you aren't spending too much time on 
any one aspect. It's like he has so much going on that it allows you to breathe from him being Spider-Man, from him trying to get Mary Jane and all of these different things that I think they did a nice job of weaving them together. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, this is why this is my favorite uh, one of my favorite superhero movies is because of how they treat Peter Parker in this movie. Um, you know, the Spider-Man uh, 2002 ends with him, Uncle Ben, you know, him remembering Uncle Ben's challenge of with, with great power comes great responsibility. Uh, the movie ends with him trying to get MJ or wanting, you know, the whole movie builds up to him wanting MJ. And when he can finally get her, he shuts her down. Because with great power comes great responsibility, right? Mm -hmm. um, and it's this great ending, and it's a great twist, and a cl cliffhanger to the next one, and all these things. And so when we get to the next one, now he's starting to see that, yeah, that's true. With great power comes great responsibility. Um, almost everything in his life falls apart in Spider-Man 2. You know, he loses his job. He loses his girl. He's uh, losing his best friend. He's He's losing his relationship with... His aunt, um, he's not being able to accomplish anything that he can. This is all because he chose to be Spider-Man, right? If if all he did was say, I'm just not going to be Spider-Man anymore, then I feel like he knows everything in his life would go back to normal, that he could get Mary Jane, that he could get his job back and not be late, right? Um, and it kind of did. he could make did. it to her play on time. Yeah. Um, so this is this entire, um, I guess, mental battle that he's having the entire time mm -hmm. um and when he finally comes to that realization uh at the end and i guess mary jane is like no you need to be spider-man it's great it's a great moment you know it, it's worth it it's uh you you the way they treat this protagonist you really do sympathize with him um i love the scene in this when where, where he's telling aunt may what really happened to uncle ben yeah that's a fantastic piece of i don't know cinematic storytelling really it's all in one take i think toby mcguire nails that um it works uh and it sets the stakes up really high for the climax of this movie with doc ock and um i just think everything from a character standpoint is earned in this movie um it, it builds on the first it it uh it takes it in a new direction and it really uh stretches the character to um to new extremes i really really like what they do with uh, peter parker here you even get to see how sort of naive he is still, even though he's uh -huh. beyond high school at this point. And, you know, like you said, he thinks everything will just go back to normal once he stops being Spider-Man. But he also thinks just because he stopped being Spider-Man, he's going to get Mary Jane back right away, even though she's dating someone else. He's like, well, why can't we just be together now? You know, that thing is out of my life. Yeah. It's not in the way anymore. And he doesn't elaborate on what that thing is. So, you know, he's kind of in this headspace where he's like, okay, well, I stopped being Spider-Man so I can get everything I want now. And then it hits him that, you know what, maybe that's not the way that life works. And Mary Jane has to basically almost get married to realize that she does want to be with Peter and she mm -hmm. is able to sort of live with what his life is going to be like, especially since everyone finds out Peter's identity in this movie, like everyone pretty much. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why they had the John Jameson character. Why wasn't that just Harry? Do you think that would have been more effective if she just goes for Harry and this whole movie is she's dating Harry more, you know, and it's more of that, 
because doesn't it just seem like that's more of a an add-on character and in it and in the way of like Harry I would have just would have preferred probably that than Mary Jane dating him and that being the 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 conflict mm-hmm. than John Jameson who is just John J Jonah Jameson's son right yeah and the only scene I noticed that that whole storyline really impacted was when Doc Ock took Mary Jane and we get that moment at the bugle where Jameson is like you know he took my son's fiance and Mm -hmm. he has that moment where he likes Spider-Man for like a split second until Spider-Man comes back and takes his suit (laughs) off the wall. And that's really the only scene that John Jameson's character impacted in any sort of (laughs) real way other than just sort of adding him in as this plot device to keep Mary Jane away from Peter. And, you know, obviously Harry screwed up with her in the first movie and in this yeah. one, like you said, it did seem like they didn't really know what to do with him. And, you know, we have that whole scene with him at the end that will lead us into Spider-Man 3 where so much happens. And, you know, <laughs> I haven't rewatched that one just yet. So I'm sure that'll be a wild ride. <laughs> yeah, it felt like they, uh, Spider-Man 3, they didn't didn't quite know what to do. And uh, they, they certainly didn't know what to do with the villains um, because... That one probably should have been two movies, if not three movies, with the amount of stuff that they try to put in at the end. But, you know, it's disappointing um, because I feel like the first two movies are uh, in this series are really building to something great. And I feel like Spider-Man 3, you know, the, the director's cut or the, the Sam Raimi's version or whatever didn't come out. I feel like that's one of the great unknowns in Hollywood history, like what that yeah. movie should have and could have been had it had everything around it been right, had all the circumstances been right around it because, you know, the studio wanted him to do Venom and they made him put Venom in there and then that kind of messed everything up and didn't allow him to do what he wanted to do. So to me, that's, if you could do it over, I think Spider-Man 3 is like one of the movies I would I would rewind the time machine and, and, and remake if I could. Yeah, that seems to be the general consensus from a lot of people <laughs> I know, especially it still made, I think it made the most money because the hype was so high um, because everybody thought it was going to lead up to something huge and, and it ended up not. But um, where do you fall on your favorite Spider-Man though, uh, in terms of McGuire versus Garfield versus uh, now Tom Holland, I guess it is. Honestly, I think as far as the live action portrayals go, Tom Holland has been my favorite just because he sort of has the boyish look that I feel like Peter Parker always should have had, especially a high school age Peter Parker. And he just has the awkwardness down so well. And obviously Toby is awkward in this, but I feel like it's a different kind of awkward. And because he looks so much older than the character he's playing in this, I was like, you know, not my favorite. I haven't rewatched the Amazing Spider-Man movies recently either. So I think once I go through them, I don't think my opinion of Holland being my favorite live action Spidey will change. But I think just my opinion of the movies in general might, because I liked a lot of the story elements in this movie. And I liked it more than I was expecting to, just because I didn't remember a whole lot about it. I was like, oh, okay, you know, there's actually something really good with this one in particular. And it had been so long that I was pleasantly surprised by that. 
obviously, you know, when you throw something like Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse in the mix, you're like, okay, now that Mm -hmm. is, you know, something that it took a risk in a different way. And animated movies aren't going to make as much as the live action ones. It's sort of just a fact of the moment. And Mm -hmm. it's a little disappointing because that movie is so great that, you know, I want everyone to go see it. And with Spider-Man 2, I think it's one that's definitely worth a rewatch. But who is your favorite live action Spider-Man then? It's, yeah, it's It's become Tom Holland. (laughs) It's, it's, it really has, you know, I do like these, the the movies are are my favorites are probably Spider-Man 1 and 2. I do. I really like Homecoming, and I like I liked Far From Home a lot. Um, I, lo- I love where the direction that they're taking this, and I think a lot of it does have to do with they could never do high school with with Tobey Maguire. Um, they, you know, being able to set this in high school does it makes it so much more nostalgic and so much more uh, feel like a John Hughes movie or something than you know adults. It feels so much more lighthearted in in, in areas, um, so much more adolescent and coming of age. Uh, in terms of the how the characters are made, but I I really do I think Tom Holland has the has the most skills of any actor that they've had. Um, yeah, I think he's the most charismatic. I think he's a star. I think he's gonna do stuff beyond Spider Man in his career, which I don't think any of the other guys have really done anything. Um, I mean, they have, but not certainly not as big as, as Spider Man. And so so yeah, that's that's my uh, favorite Spider Man is probably Tom Holland. Um, at this point, uh, you know, uh, hopefully he's Spider-Man for the foreseeable future. I wanted to ask you what your favorite scene is in Spider-Man 2, though, because uh, mine is that train sequence, obviously, that where he stops the train with his webs and everything, and they, they pass him back uh, through the train with his... He's crowd with surfing. His, with his, yeah, he's crowd surfing, <laughs> and they're like, we won't tell anybody, you know, when he has his mask off. I think that's a great moment. Um, an incredible sequence, too. Um what 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 sticks out action scene wise to you about this movie? Yeah, action wise, I really liked the first scene with Doc Ock when there's the explosion at you know the viewing for the press mm-hmm. and everyone, and you have these horror elements that Sam Raimi puts into these movies that yeah. I definitely noticed way more now than I would have when I initially watched them. And I think even that stuff is done better in this movie than in the first one, because, you know, you have sort of those nightmarish visions that Peter has in the first movie. And here, you know, I think that scene in particular, just when you see Doc Ock throw Peter and he's sort of down for the count for at least a little bit. And then the whole moment with his wife and just the fact that, it doesn't really hit him right away. You know, it has to happen first. And then you see mm. Doc Ock's reaction and you see Peter's reaction too, because he was down and wasn't able to save her. So mm-hmm. I think that scene was done really well from just like an action and emotional standpoint all at the same yeah. time. You're sort of getting hit with both. Whereas, you know, with the train scene, there is emotion to it, but a lot of it is just really him doing everything he can and, you know, having this very constipated yeah. look on his face, which yeah, it's just, yeah. is bound to happen when you're trying to stop a train, I imagine. But then you yeah, have... Yeah, you're trying to hold on a web and stop a train. It's tough. Yeah. And then you have the scenes like the one you mentioned with Aunt May, where it's just a pure emotional impact. But I think yeah. that initial scene when Doc Ock is 
showing off what he's created and just sort of the horror that everyone feels when it goes terribly wrong and the action that surrounds it, even though the action is relatively brief. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, another scene with Doc Ock is where, where they're trying to surgically remove the, Oh yeah. The, the hospital remember? scene. Yeah. yeah so many yeah. horror that, elements to that. Yeah, <laughs> that, that. That one stuck out to me in this last rewatch. Like, wow, Raimi really did throw a horror scene into this yeah, movie. Yeah, he really did. It's like independence day, you know, when the, when the alien comes alive in area 51, it's a, it's very reminiscent of that. I think, uh, kind of a callback to that, but that's such a great, great scene where Doc Ock is laying face down, you know, and then the, all oh, the arms are going crazy and yeah. he's lifting people up. And uh, I think that's great, you know, from just a, uh, I don't know, a setup standpoint, uh, you know, that, that scene works on just a concept alone. Um, I think that, and you know, the execution is obviously great too, but, um, I like that. And I like the little inhibitor chip that he has too. Yeah. And just that little thing of, Oh, I've got this little chip that, and it's so fragile. Makes it to where I won't, I won't go and go go crazy, you know. And then that once that thing blows up is when what makes him go crazy, you know. Um, it's just that small little narrative device is smart too. I thought to put in there. Absolutely, I think with the story, you know, what they did so well, again, like I said earlier, is just the balance they had between mm-hmm. those different scenarios, Peter and MJ. Peter and Doc Ock, Peter and Harry, you know, even Peter and Aunt May. Yeah, yeah, it's really well paced. You're right, yeah. And they even bring Uncle Ben back for sort of this, not necessarily hallucination on Peter's part, but just him talking to Uncle Ben again. And Cliff Robertson did not really think he was going to be brought back after Mm -hmm. the outcome of the first movie. And what these two movies handle really well is just the whole uncle ben storyline which is something that we don't get with holland spider-man and yeah you know there's a little bit of it in far from home because we see that he has uncle ben's suitcase and then he ends up losing it by the end of the trip because so much has happened and there are little moments like that where you're like okay we know uncle ben did exist at one point but this one was way more true to the comics and while I have always had a little bit of an issue with how old Aunt May and Uncle Ben are in the <laughs> comics, I'm like, okay, if Peter is in high school and, you know, it's his dad's sibling, why are they grandparent age? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe great aunt. Yeah. Maybe his, his grandparent's sister. I don't know. Um, yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think... You know, uh, when they when they tried to reset this new Spider-Man, uh, they they realized where Sony realized where they went wrong with the the Andrew Garfield one was was just completely doing the origin story again, mm-hmm. and everybody having seen that already with the Tobey Maguire series, and so you know they couldn't really do that. I think they're just, they just they want to set up Tony Stark like Uncle Ben in this new this new iteration where. Most of, if not all, of Peter Parker's decisions or motivations are are, or what would Tony do? Or instead of calling back to Uncle Ben, he's calling back to Tony Stark's advice, right? Um, yeah. So yeah, I think that's kind of more of a replacement than a uh, not having him in there. I imagine they'll they'll probably explore that more the further they go, the further away they get from this series, you know, I, I just didn't think they felt like they needed to rehash that again, even though that is part of his 
comic origin or his actual origin. But um, they seem to be taking liberties with the new one, which I kind of like. The, at its core, it's still yeah. Spider-Man, but they're taking it in a new direction, which I enjoy. Absolutely. I don't necessarily need for comic book movies to be a one-to-one adaptation of the comics because the Mm -hmm. nice thing about spider-man is that there are so many comics that you can dive into and sort of find your perfect version of spider-man or even if your perfect spider-man is miles morales you know that exists now it also exists in animated movie form and you have so many different stories that people can like for so many different reasons and you know it's fine to like aspects of you know these two movies and think that spider-man 2 is a great spider-man movie but still like holland Moore as spider-man which you and i both do it's like we're not discounting these other spider-man movies just because we like holland Moore in the role you know even the amazing spider-man movies they take a bit of a different direction with throwing Gwen Stacy into the mix and exploring that storyline instead. So there's something to pick out from each of these series and especially with Spider-Man 2, you know, there's a lot of good things you can pluck out of this and very few things that I found wrong with the movie necessarily. Yeah, I think um one of the parts that I really liked at the time that hasn't held up over time is that that scene where he gets in the elevator with Hal what's his name Sparks <laughs> or, what's his name and they're just talking it was like super long like, and super awkward yeah I was like, super this is too long. way too long way too long it should have been half that length but I remember seeing this in the theaters and that worked really well I mean I remember that killing in the theater like from a laugh standpoint so you know, in hindsight, I understand why they did it, but it just hasn't aged as well. You know, over time, it's like it probably should have that probably should have been a deleted scene or like a a scene you see during the credits or something like that. You know, um, kind of kills the kills the momentum a little bit when, the, when we're talking about good pacing. But uh, yeah, but yeah, for the most part, there's good pacing, for, and then you yeah, hit that moment and you're like, uh, where are we going with this exactly? <laughs> yeah, he's talking about itchy suit or whatever i don't know uh yeah it goes off on a kind of a tangent there for for a minute or two yeah there are some nice little character bits within the story too like when they bring bruce campbell back as the usher and peter's kind of standing there trying to get into the show and he just won't let him in and apparently you know bruce campbell is pretty good friends with sam raimi so that's why he was brought back again so you know he had this little cameo in the first one as the ring announcer and then as the usher in this one i don't know if he's in the third one just because like i said i haven't seen that one in forever and it is mostly forgettable apparently (laughs) yeah yeah that is funny how raimi worked those cameos into this and um uh another joke that that uh they they use one too many times as the the lady playing the Spider-Man song on her yes. like violin, you know. They did that twice. They should have done it once, you know. There are certain elements that they um didn't know when to get out on the joke. Um but you know, overall, I I'm so pleased with this movie that those are small complaints. Oh, for sure. That's really just sort of nitpicking some 
moments that didn't really matter in the grand scheme of things, which I guess is why they stood out so much. You know, the lady playing the song does change up the lyrics the second time because the first time she is singing the theme song and then the second time she's asking Spider-Man where he went because it was during the time when Peter was like, I'm not going to be Spider-Man. And you see all of this guilt building up inside of him, too, which I thought was done really well. And, you know, Tobey Maguire did have some nice moments throughout these movies. I'm not going to say, oh, he was an absolutely horrible Peter Parker, Spider-Man, you know. It was just one of those things where I feel like he was a touch too old to be playing the character, but he did make it work as best as he could at times. Yeah, I feel the same way. And, uh, you know, you mentioned that they were in college in this one and uh, Harry Osborne is drinking alcohol like during this, like he's a, you know, on a bender like, yeah. the entire movie pretty much. And, you know, those types of elements I think work for the stakes, but, you know, at the same time, it doesn't, it doesn't quite feel like the Spider-Man of today where you're carrying backpacks around and it's a, it's a much more lighthearted affair, but I think it works. It's amazing how well Sam Raimi was able to balance the, the lighthearted and the dark with this without it feeling jarring you know without the without it going from super dark super light super dark um it uh it really does work from a pacing standpoint even though you've got those two vastly different tones throughout i will say to add to that hospital scene there i kind of Mm. want to know what a horror version of a spider-man movie would look like and you know what maybe that's just sam raimi getting to do a venom movie And that is something I'd be fine with because I did go see the recent Venom movie and I wasn't the biggest fan of it, but (laughs) you know, Tom Hardy was pretty charismatic as Venom. He was very weird as Venom too, which I think is kind of why it worked. But after seeing that hospital scene in particular, I was like, you know what? I kind of want to know what some of these darker Spider-Man storylines would look like as a horror film. And that's something I was really hoping to see, you know, with the X-Men with new mutants, because that looked so yeah. up my alley as sort of this horror film, but still a superhero film. And the thing is, you know, the superhero films are really becoming the action films of today. That's essentially what they are. They just have superheroes as characters instead of, you know, Tom Cruise. <laughs> so who's still cranking <laughs> right. out the action movies too. So, you know, it the superhero movies have not stopped him. And it's interesting how many different genres that these movies can take on at the same time. Yeah, I would I would totally be down for a or an R-rated Spider-Man movie. That's a great idea. I'd be really down for that actually. I wonder if they would do that. And, you know, because they've explored the Deadpool thing. They yeah. say they're going to do Blade. Uh, I wonder if they're going to do Blade and Rated R. I would hope um, so. I would hope so, too. Make um, it Logan-esque with, yeah. you know, just how they handle the style of the movie. Right. I would actually be okay with them doing Venom, another Tom Hardy Venom, and then bringing Tom Holland on board for that and making that Rated R, but but making it more of a Venom movie than a Spider-Man movie, but maybe having Spider-Man involved somehow. You know, I've heard that that they've had, that they actually had Tom Holland in Spider-Verse and they cut it out the last minute or something. Like he was supposed to be a character in that. So I think Disney and, and Sony and Marvel 
who are kind of sharing the rights to Spider-Man are trying to figure out what they can do with it, you know, uh, how far yeah. they can take it, um, if they can do spinoff movies or what. But um, I think that's a I think that's a great idea. You need to get a Kickstarter going on that. <laughs> An R-rated horror version of Spider-Man would be something I would I would definitely pay to see. Yeah, I would go see that in a heartbeat. And, you know, with Venom, they teased Carnage at the end. So you could mm. definitely throw Tom Holland's Spider-Man into the mix with that, I think, because of just the interactions that he's had with Venom in the comics, with Carnage. You know, I think that would be an interesting trio to see on the big screen together, especially with Woody Harrelson as Carnage. <laughs> I, I, I totally agree. Have they confirmed that? Is that is it going to be Harrelson? Well, that's who it was at the end of Venom, mm -hmm. so I hope so, because I really want that now, and if it's not, I might be <laughs> slightly disappointed. Yeah, no, yeah, I, I'm totally down for that. Hopefully that ends up coming to fruition at some point. Yeah. But uh, it'll be interesting to see where they take Spider-Man over the next few years, and if they do another Spider-Verse movie, what that will look like, or how they how they take advantage of that success will be interesting as well. So Spider-Man's always been a fun one to uh, to see because i feel like when it's done right everybody loves spider-man you know um i feel like it's one of the un more universally accepted superheroes that there is um when the movies are good yeah i almost wonder what the story of spider-man 2 would look like with holland and zendaya in the roles instead <laughs> because yeah. those two are so fun together on screen and you know maybe zendaya's mj who technically isn't Mary Jane because we learned that her name is Michelle wouldn't necessarily be going and doing plays off Broadway or on Broadway, wherever it was. And, you know, there would be some tweaks that would need to be made to the story. And I also couldn't see her marrying John Jameson either or agreeing to anyway. Right. So there are some things where it's like, okay, with these characters, that kind of works. And one thing we haven't talked about too much is just how they portrayed Mary Jane in this movie in particular, because it's like she is an independent character, but at the same time, her story revolves so much around romance in general. It's like, okay, but I want to see her sort of do her own thing for a bit because, you know, she's with Harry and then she's with John and then she's with Peter. And it's like, there's no breathing room for the character in between yeah yeah you're absolutely right i would love to i would love to see <laughs> what this would have been with different with different actors i wonder if they're going to do doc ock or do any of this in the mcu um eventually or if all of this is off limits to them um if it's too sacred um if they consider this spider-man canon or not um that'll be interesting to see as well uh how they I know they did have Doc Ock and Spider Verse, you know, kind yeah. of though. So I guess they're not. It's they not have totally... a lady Doc Ock. Yeah, yeah, that was a cool reveal as well. But um, but yeah, it's uh, it's been fun to see Tom Holland grow into the character for sure. Because I was skeptical at first, but um, he's won me over fairly quickly, or very quickly actually. Yeah. Um, with with his portrayal, and um, I'm all, I'm I'm on board for all things. Uh, spider-man now and and um like i said I, I i think they really know what they're doing with this new iteration and um they have the benefit of hindsight and and going back and looking at spider-man 2 in this film 
and Spider-Man 1 and maybe parts of Spider-Man 3 uh, and what worked and uh, taking the best of those things and building on those and uh, moving it into uh, a new generation. And I think they've done a great job with uh, with that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, why don't we go ahead and wrap this up with a quick look at what we rated it because, you know, I use Letterboxd for all my movie mm. ratings right now. So, mm -hmm. you know, I rewatched this and ended up giving it a four out of five, which surprised me. I gave the first one a three out of five. And I think a lot of that had to do with just the CGI being very obvious and yeah. it was less so in this one. And I thought the story did improve, you know, obviously we nitpicked a few things here and there, the elevator scene, the violin singer, and then, you know, even Mary Jane not being a totally well-rounded character. It was mm -hmm. one of those things where I just felt like, you know what, this story was good enough for me to rate this one at least a star higher, you know, than the first one because of the improvements that I could visibly see that they had made. Yeah, I would probably, I, I usually do letter grades for mine. Okay. Um, so I would probably do this one an A. I would probably rank uh spider-man homecoming and spider-man far from home like at an a minus like, okay um i think they're both super strong um and again it's not an i don't think this is an a plus i don't think it's a perfect movie but i think what it gets what it what it aims to get right it does get right and um it it really does justice to the characters as people and i think that's a really important thing when it comes to a sequel they often they often put character aside and they go for spectacle only um, this one really does build on character. And so that's why I give Spider-Man 2 an A. It really was nice to see the sequel take that next step because so many times you watch sequels and you're like, well, that wasn't quite as good as the first one. But in this case, it was reversed. Yeah. It's like, you know, they started on pretty solid ground with the first one and then they made that little leap for the second one. And then, you know, then it went downhill. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, this one uh, met all my expectations for sure. Yeah, well, Kent, thank you so much for making your first appearance on this podcast to talk about Spider-Man 2. I will be happy to have you back on to discuss any other movie that you would like if it doesn't, you know, have any <laughs> conflicts with Mad About Movies. So again, thank you. It was a joy talking about this one with you. Thanks, Deanna. It's been great. And hopefully we can talk again soon. For sure. And to our listeners, you can follow us at Geekdom Pod on Twitter, at Welcome to Geekdom on Instagram and Facebook. And as always, thank you all for listening, and we hope you enjoy the rest of your day.